Very excited to have Carolyn McCanders here with me today for our podcast. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't know, Carolyn has been instrumental in the work of the Institute for Excellence in Education because of her um, tremendous success with the work Adaptive Schools and Cognitive Coaching. She has just taught us so much about how people shift their thinking and how people interact with each other through those two platforms. And Carolyn, I'm so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you, Sherry, for, for inviting me to chat with you this morning. I'm you're welcome. I, I'm honored. I'm honored that you're here. And I always say that once a person hears you speak, they go to the church of Carolyn <laughs> because wow. you you give us such insight into how to connect in meaningful ways with people. And um, I just believe it is a game changer in schools when we begin to pay attention to the work you're doing. Well, I'm a lover of educators and humankind in general, and I have a heart for leadership and for uh, teacher leadership, for all leadership in schools. Uh, especially right now. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult time. And it, it, it seems like we keep wondering when things are going to go back to normal. And I don't know that there will be a going back to normal. Um, and so, Carolyn, you have worked with leaders in schools around the globe. And you have worked with leaders who are not in schools, uh, in other organizations. It, through your work. And I just wonder um, about a commonality that you notice across the world or across the globe and across sectors that leaders experience or share, or what's a commonality you find? That That's an easy one. Um, whether I'm in Hong Kong or Ohio, leaders want the best for kids. They want mm -hmm. the best for students. Leaders, um, hearts are in the absolutely appropriate place and their heads to focus squarely on what will be best and how can I bring my best selves to students? And then secondly, how do I create a psychologically um, safe environment and physically safe right now environment for both students and for the adults that work with students, uh, hands down, is a, is a common theme that's heard around the globe. So um, people seem to be grounded in their mission or their passion for students. And part of that is uh, doing the right things, right thing for them, all the way down to the level of safety which on Bloom's Taxonomy, I say all the way down because of Bloom's Taxonomy. And sometimes when we went into the profession, we didn't realize that was where we were going to have to think about this work. Yeah. Yes. We, we thought about um, the connection between students' feelings and cognition for a long, long, long time. And now we're even more being asked to focus on teacher feelings and their thinking because of the um, 
the overwhelming feeling of needing to feel both physically and psychologically safe for adults too. Yeah. So I, I think that being so mission focused on doing the right thing for kids, at least for me, when I was a principal is one of the things that made my job so stressful and so difficult was because it, it, it was a passion for me and any injustice or anything that I felt was a mountain that was challenging to move caused me frustration and, and stress. And I think about all the things you've taught me now. And I, and, and so I, I just wonder you're thinking about the work and how that support the work of adaptive schools and cognitive coaching supports a person in their mission when they're in those challenges core to both the adaptive schools, cognitive coaching, and any good work that supports educational leadership is identity. Oh my gosh, who do I, who am I uh, in life? And what's my mission? Has to ground you. And it's not, it's even before you get to school, is to wake up in the morning and to say uh, to yourself, why am I doing this? <laughs> and I know a lot of mornings uh, leaders say that, and, but to say it in a way that provokes um, and takes you back to thinking about your mission before um, you were so tense. So to reground oneself in um, what's my mission? And then next, who do I need to be in order to carry out my mission and not just the, the professional words that we know that you should be an adaptive leader. We know that you should uh, be a mediator of thinking. It's really beyond that. And uh, with some depth, I'm a lover of humanity. I am, and you wanna think that deeply because you gotta hang on tight. And so I am a believer in um, humans, human capacity. So it's thinking beyond work to grounding yourself in life when you get up in the morning. It kind of moors you for the storms that will be coming your way. Yeah. And, and so it's about knowing your mission and your path and who you are that is the driver of why you do what you do. And I, I think one of the things that really helped me uh, through this work is this idea that you become conscious or you need to be more conscious about your own emotions and the emotions of those around you so that you can uh, respond from a cognitive point versus an emotional point. And I think as a young administrator, my feelings got hurt a lot and I didn't know how to, to, to understand that that was data, not an emotional attack on me. Yeah, yes. So you took it personally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It hurt. It hurt my feelings. Caused me stress. I think, um, I, I, I don't think I, I know that your emotions will hijack you if you don't pay attention to them though. Mm-hmm. And, so you can't put aside that which you don't acknowledge initially. Mm-hmm. And so you have to say, ouch, that hurts. Mm-hmm. Or 
my gosh, I feel down today. You, so you want to honor your feelings so that they don't hijack you. And to honor your feelings is to go inside and ask yourself, what am I feeling in this moment? And say, hello, I see you. <laughs> I, I see you, uh, sadness. I see you hurt. I see you. And then to say, and, and I'm gonna, going to honor you, set you aside, feel you. And now feelings will move once they know you see them. And you can set them aside. And then you want to ask yourself this question too. What, are, what might be some of the positive intentions behind these feelings? Because anger can have the positive intention as a springboard for advocacy for students. Mm -hmm. and so you can enter your feelings and come out on the other side by posing what's the positive intent behind this emotion, mm -hmm. which is really honoring holistically yourself. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I said remaining conscious and recognizing that um, that it's important to keep things cognitive and not affective, your point is you also have to honor your feelings because they are they're going to impact you one way or another. Yeah, because we don't want to push people into repression because yes. I'm also a social worker and <laughs> and you don't want to push them into repression because they'll get sick physically and emotionally sick when you keep squashing things down. It's how do I honor it in a way so that it doesn't hijack my cognition, mm -hmm. hijack my critical thinking, mm -hmm. and how do I use it? And emotions, uh, really, is just energy in motion. Mm -hmm. And so how do I shift that energy in a way that I can ride it to resourcefulness? Mm -hmm. and and so that's what uh, you want to um, pay attention to. So it's good morning, self. Um, how are you feeling today? What might be positive intentions of that, those feelings? Who might I need to be today? And how do I ground myself in the principles of my mission? Yeah. Yeah. So pay attention to yourself and others. I mean, that's one of the... <laughs> norms, right? That we need to, and so you got to pay attention to self. Absolutely. There needs to be, you can't pay attention to others without paying attention to yourself. It's like a, a polarity, which in itself creates tensions. And that's some of the tensions uh, that leaders are feeling right now is how do I stay healthy while helping other people to become and and sustain health. And so it's a natural tension. And so watch how you start your day. If you just fall out of bed with being not intentional, then the negative emotions, meaning those emotions that won't support your resourcefulness will kind of take over. And uh, so it's waking up, stretching, and being intentional about your feelings and thoughts for today. 
It's interesting because we talk about that, you know, the importance of bus drivers being the first people who greet students that are part of the school and and the blessings of a great bus driver. We have a great bus driver that my son rides the bus with in the morning and she is always focused on the kids and they have fun days and dress up and treats for the kids and i i feel so blessed about that and what you're saying is really the first person you see every day is yourself <laughs> and you need to yeah greet yeah. yourself well <laughs> absolutely i say always look in the mirror every morning with soft eyes and mm-hmm. you know and, and just to, to even say to yourself i love you and i love what you're trying to do for kids so uh, thanks, Carolyn. I, I wanted to shift the focus just a little bit because our organization has also had the honor of working with you and Tony Prickett on the diversity, equity and inclusion uh, work. We had a seminar during the COVID time with the two of you. And this is really important work uh, for our communities, uh, but and also in schools right now as um school leaders are really navigating creating belonging and safe places for individuals uh, to bring their authentic selves and yet there are lots of feelings and emotional emotions from adults and children about people bringing their authentic selves so i wonder what advice you might offer to school leaders who are trying to navigate those challenges around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, so there, there's a, a lot of tension uh, around this and that people even get highly verbal and even physical. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to leaders, keep, your, keep yourself physically safe first. I have to say that. And um, secondly, to take, even though you're being hit with um, what I call micro tensions. Like it's like every day there's something to see if you can go macro for sometime during the day. That is to move back, uh, to take what we call in the work, the balcony view Mm -hmm. and to, so that you can once think systemically instead of just this one person, but to begin to say what's going on in the system and even moving back further, what's going on in the community system, what's going on in the nation system, what's going on in the world. And that objective view to where it puts me at is to know that people are afraid. You know, their actions around the world is, are stemming from fear. And then when I get back like that, it's not just Mrs. Jones uh, fussing at me. It's a, a human full of fear. And to ask myself, what are what are uh, what are people really afraid of? And it's usually some form of loss. It's uh, a fear of loss. Loss of control is huge. <laughs> Loss of love, belonging, and connection is huge um, for human beings. We want to be in control. And so one way, one strategy, and I know your leaders know this, to put, make people, to settle fear 
and to make them feel like they have more control is to seek to understand them. I cannot get away from that. And, and what you resist persists and gets stronger. And you need to paraphrase your butt off. You need to listen because it puts people in control. And remember, this is about emotion. It's about fear. And sometimes you don't even have to do anything. It's what you have to be in that moment to that person, remembering from that macrocentric perspective that it comes from a space of fear. And if there are, and then I, I call, there are more resourceful paraphrases. And then there are paraphrases that'll take people to hell. So you got to watch <laughs> the paraphrase that you give people also. And you want to paraphrase in a way that liberates resourcefulness, that creates a space for, uh, of, of resourcefulness. Let me give you an example. Here's an example of, uh, of a parent uh, coming in and saying, um, I don't know what you all are teaching up here, uh, but it better not, you better not be teaching against my values and yada, 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 yada. And so um, a paraphrase that does not liberate resourcefulness might sound like this. And the parent's going to say yes. Um, it, it really troubles you that um, some things we're doing is against your values. See? Now, the parent's going to say, hell yes. Mm -hmm. But where do you go with that? Because you've already said, in a negative sense, we're doing what you don't want us to do. <laughs> you've affirmed it. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and right off the cuff. So a, a, I call it a liberating paraphrase, or I call them heaven paraphrases. Another paraphrase would be, it's really important to you, um, Mrs. Jones, that your student and all kids are, are led to uh, beliefs that honor, uh, that, that honor their home and school, something like that. See, do you see? Because it, it, it gives, it furthers the conversation. And it, it says things like, next you can pose a question, what might be some of those values that may honor um, both home and school, you see, because it, it's a liberating pause, paraphrase, and pose a question. So the first thing I would say when honoring diversity is to um, listen mm -hmm. and then to um, show that you've, uh, you're understanding to open a conversation instead of closing a conversation because we know that when you listen deeply, you're creating an ally, really. That's what you're doing. Because you don't, because paraphrasing is not agreement. It's not agreement unless you give one of those unresourceful paraphrases, which you don't want to do as, as a leader. Paraphrases liberate um, internal resourcefulness for the listener and for the person being listened to. So it starts a conversation that matters and can create, um, these kinds of conversations are the source of effective community. So a, a, 
providing for space for people to share their fears and it's okay and it's safe because they're going to feel heard on the other side of it. Yes, yes. And if you have multiple people in the room, you want to work, create some working agreements. You want to create some talking agreements in the in the room. You never bring diversity together. And diversity is always in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care if people look just like each other or they come from the same community. Um, it's just as diverse all, all the time. And so you want when you're bringing people together for conversation, you want to create talking agreements and which are really principles to live by as we um, interact with with each other. Another strategy is for leaders is to have what I call pocket principles. Principles moor you or ground you. And I say pocket principles because you don't have time to think of them. They need to be just like, wham, they're, they're there and integrate those principles. Like some of mine are people walking as much light as they have. They're doing the best that they have, given the information that they have, the emotional state that they're in, um, the f- level of fear that they're holding. And so people walk in as much light as they have. And my job is to enlighten, to bring light to um, this person and this situation. Another principle that I hold is to become curious and not furious because curiosity supports you in pausing, paraphrasing, and posing questions. And really, you want to ask yourself, how did this person get to this point? And, um, and what's the viewpoint living in the room? And so to, and it, it won't make you overshare. You'll be an overlistener and not an overshare when you, when you um, come with a heart of curiosity. An, another pocket principle that you might want to hold is that um, leadership as a leader my role is to navigate tensions. So I normalize tensions. And so nothing is wrong. Human systems are complex. You will have tensions. Therefore, most things are not problems to solve. They're polarities to be managed. And so to stop looking for that right answer and to look for multiple right answers that need each other, like paying attention to self and paying attention to others, creates a natural tension and it won't go away. It has to be managed. Like, or school responsibility and parent responsibility creates natural tensions and, and the tension never goes away. You have to strategize to stay in the upsides of both of those. Wonderful. Thank you. I, those are some just fantastic tips that will help our principals as they're facing those challenges. And um, I also appreciate you sharing your principles because um, we hear those frequently in the adaptive schools work, and I know you live by them. So <laughs> it's um, uh, thanks for sharing that. So we're going to, I want to ask you a couple more things and then we'll wrap it up. But uh, first is Carolyn, what was the 
I mean, your highlight of your work that you've done so far, what was your, well, let's, before we do that, let's do that. The most challenging piece of your work you've ever done. And then we'll go to the highlight. So what's the hardest thing you've ever encountered in your work with students and kids and adults who serve kids? Okay. Um, wow. Challenging. I think it, it, if I put myself back into a classroom in Detroit, because that's where I got my start. And just remembering, I had 36 uh, middle school kids mm -hmm. in, in a room. And anybody who teaches middle school know that if you put the number 36 with middle school kids, <laughs> it was, it, yeah. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You can love something and it can be challenging all at the same time. And the name of our podcast, The Worst Job I Ever Loved. <laughs> that's it. Being in the room where it's um, 36 middle school kids with such diverse needs, such diverse needs, needs, I mean, even not just cognitive needs, social emotional needs. Some kids came to school hungry, Phys physical needs. And um, now how did, how did I navigate that? It's, it's, I always go to Maslow. You know, Maslow is just my friend still. And <laughs> because you're thinking about all these diverse needs. And I always go macro and say, and I did back then, what are the basic needs that need to be taken care of by these human beings? And, and then how do I take care of physical and psychological safety? How do I take care of love, belonging, and connection? And how do I take care of interest? How do I keep them interested? And how do I ha give them some um, control? And, and so I think <laughs> my middle school years were the most, uh, probably some of the most challenging. And I think every single one of those children for for being a teacher, because I learned a lot uh, during that time. Um, so, yeah, it is a difficult and challenging job. I'm sure the kids were lucky and blessed by you, as we are. I know I am every day. That I thank God for Carolyn. <laughs> so, uh, Carolyn, what's been the highlight of your career? I still am a teacher at heart. I don't. I I'm a teacher. And I'm a lover of human beings. I believe, even when we're acting crazy, I believe that that resourcefulness and that light is still within you. And that um, you just need it to, to be relit or you need the, uh, 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 some mediation of some kind. The highlight has been when you rekindle passion for education. And I get to see that happening all over the world and every day. And that's why I'm so exhausted and I just keep going <laughs> as to support educators and coming together and in a community, bringing their best selves to support each other and to support students, parents and communities. Um, even though there's a lot of overwhelm these days, there's, there are a lot of good things happening. Oh my Lord, 
there are a lot of resourceful people, resilient people, resilient students. There's a lot of laughter. And so I get to hear students laughing, teachers laughing, I mean, howling and laughing and having a good time still. I get to see uh, diversity at its finest um, across the country, seeing very diverse communities actually come together and find ways to have difficult conversations. I get to see that and I feel very blessed that I still see the uh, order within seeming chaos. I still see all the love um, that is happening in different communities. That's a highlight for me. That's, be that's beautiful, very beautiful. So I just want to say thank you for your time this morning. I know that it is hard to get on Carolyn's schedule and I appreciate that you made time for our podcast. And I really do believe your words will help our principals who are working through some of the most challenging times that we've I've seen in my professional career. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for asking me, Sherry. Join us for our next episode of The Principalship, The Worst Job I Ever Loved. Thank you.